0: All right, uh, welcome to the Create Invent podcast. This is Jeremy Cook, as usual, with Pat Regan, and we've got a special guest today named Wendell Oske. Today is May 10th. We want to make sure to say that's for, for posterity. But Wendell, how, how are you doing today?
1: Great, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, well, Wendell has written a uh, excellent book called Open Circuits. I got to take a look at this yesterday, and it um it's really fantastic. It's basically a book where he takes apart, him and his uh, co- co-author, Eric, Schlaffer, how do you you pronounce that window? Schlepfer. Schlepfer, they uh take apart um, they take apart electronics and basically they show them to you, so it lets you understand things in the same way as you might, you know, if you took apart a toy or something, except you don't have to go through all that trouble. He's taken apart uh, well, almost 300 pages worth of parts and stuff for you with explanations, and it's really a fantastic book. I mean, um. You know, both both the authors are very well known. There's also Ken Ken Sheriff. I might be mispronouncing that name too.
1: Uh, yes, Ken Sheriff. Uh,
0: Ken Sheriff. He's um did the uh, technical reviews of this, and I saw in the uh, acknowledgments, Bre- Brian. Brian Benchoff. Benchoff, Okay, very good. Anyway, now that I've uh I've butchered all those names, uh, what can you tell? What can you tell us about this book that I haven't already t- told said? Uh, so the book is a
1: tour through all kinds of electronic components. Uh, looking at them from the outside, looking at them from the inside, discussing about how they work. It's sort of a tour of uh, the history of electronics in a way as well, because we're showing vintage and classic elect- electronic components, including things like vintage resistors and capacitors, but also uh, things like a slice through a cell phone circuit board and uh, a modern cell phone camera, trying to show just so what the range of electronic components is and one of our focuses on the book is on the aesthetic properties of these because you're getting to look at some really marvelously designed things that you just never get to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, now just uh, step back a little bit. You're um what what is your your background exactly? I believe you uh you own a you own a company that you, you run with family-owned company, I believe.
1: Yes, or- uh, my wife and I uh, run a company called Evil Mad Scientist and Uh, We principally make pen plotters but also things like soldering kits. Uh, My background, I have a PhD in atomic physics and I worked for a while at the National Institute of Standards and Technology on atomic clocks Uh, and after that I went to work for a company for some years building scientific instruments and now I build instruments
0: on my own. It's nice to know that the person who wrote this book is really, you know, you're really into electronics. You're a You're very, um, you're the perfect person to write this book. I guess is what I, what I'm trying to. Yeah, get I'm at definitely here.
2: under. I'm feeling underqualified now. All of a sudden,
0: what's what's funny
1: is uh, Eric is a electronic engineer uh, and has uh, such vastly higher skill than me at almost all of these electronic components. Which uh, you know I know a lot, but he knows so much more that I feel like I'm in your shoes there. By, res- by respect that. Uh, um, uh, he has designed chips, and uh, um, you know I have used them, so it's really a different world. But uh, I think he and I have very complementary skills that worked very well to um, both uh, find some components that were very interesting to talk about and to talk about them from different perspectives. One of the big challenges in writing a book like this is that you sh- you have so many different audience members. You have people who don't know anything about electronics and have a- want to see this photography book. And you also have experts, the people that did design those components. And you want either one of those groups to be able to pick up this book, look at that, say, hey, that's really cool. Read the explanation and nod just a little bit and say, yeah, okay, I get it. Or yeah, that's basically correct. And <laughs> right. so it's a really hard challenge.
0: Well, yeah, I guess that's one thing, you know, looking at this book, you know, I uh, my background is uh, manufacturing automation, I guess is the best way to put it. And I just look at this and the way you've, you've described all this you really go into i wouldn't say you go into depth on that much on the process and how they're made but you do go into how it's made for you know i don't know 300 something hundreds of components i'll just put it that way so it's how how were you able to get how were you were you able to get all of this info this must have taken you a a massive amount of time uh yeah it was a very uh very
1: long process. We sort of had an interruption in production because we sort of shut down work on the book for a year because of COVID and various uh, uh, interruptions in life that happened because of it. Um, But, you know, we sort of spent essentially a year doing photography and less than that doing the writing on it. Uh, We wrote a little brief blurb about each thing, and we had an excellent editor from uh, No Start Press who uh, worked with us through the uh, process and made us explain everything <laughs> just kept saying I don't understand what that word means and I don't understand this uh, explain it better and so we just had to keep going at it and hammering at it and Eric and I sometimes spent uh, you know hours in a uh, video chat hammering out a single paragraph because it just had to be right <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, that's an interesting thing you bring up because I was, you know, going through this book and admittedly, I didn't read the whole thing. It's, it's about 300 pages. And I, you know, it, I think it'd be a great um, encyclopedia type reference. But I came, came to a word and it was surmet And I was like, well, I think that's a typo. But fortunately, I looked in the back and there was a glossary and it explains exactly what that is. So was that your editor's idea to put the glossary in there? Because I think that was, I think that's a fantastic, fantastic little touch.
1: Uh, yes, it was our editor's idea, and it took us a little bit beyond our in- intended and contractual page count to put it in, but it seemed like a a good idea. Um, it was the very last thing we added to the book.
0: <laughs> okay, well, well, it's appreciated. I, I mean, you know, myself, I don't have the same knowledge as, as the two of you, but I feel like I'm perhaps more competent than an average, certainly more competent than the, <laughs> competent than the average person, but... You know, just, just the amount of terms and stuff that get thrown out there, it's very nice. It's a, a fantastic reference, I think. Just the the book and the glossary in general, I think, that's, I think that's great. It's really a great
1: challenge to try and address that wide audience that I referred to. And uh, jargon terms are one of the hardest parts because we use jargon for so many reasons, including precision of what we're describing. That, you know, we don't mean a ceramic, we don't mean a metal, we mean a cermet, a composite of the two. And... Um, you know, sometimes you just have to use the special word that means the special thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something, you know, I do, um, I write about technical issues kind of before my, you know, most of my living these days. And it's, it's interesting having to try to, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, that, that's that word I need to go ahead and define that, you know, cause I like, I like to do that, but sometimes it's, it's even hard to even find what, um, like HDMI means, I think it's what something definition media Anyway, even stuff like that, even stuff that's common in the other terms, they've literally transcended acronym status. And they're just now, I can't think of a good good example, but there's some terms that like, well, it used to stand for this, but now that this company owns it, it just stands for the word itself.
1: There are quite a few of those. Uh, We actually had to do quite a bit of research uh, to really explain how some of the things work. And there are questions that we uh, you know, initially thought the, that one thing was the explanation for it, but it turned out to be completely different. Uh, an example was the question, why is there silica in the uh, epoxy of a IC? So if you have a uh, integrated circuit in its dip package, it has all these legs, it has this black plastic package. The black plastic, plastic package, if you etch away the plastic, what you're left with is a lot of sand in there, essentially fine refined silica that uh, is in there. And uh, what I had been told many years ago was that that was in there for the thermal properties to uh, make it better thermally conductive. It turns out that the reason that it's in there is to match the thermal expansion coefficient of the epoxy package so that it doesn't stress the wire bonds to the leads when the package changes temperature. And there are all kinds of different things that are used to uh, as packaging components or packaging composite materials to match different expansion characteristics as needed for different levels of performance. And this is a whole world of things, you know, I didn't know anything about, but we had to had to look that up and learn the truth and really understand it and be able to write a very short explanation of it.
2: Yeah, those wires that go from the pins on a DIP to the to the actual tiny integrated circuit, they are I've I've seen those chips, you know, dissolved and you know, and you just see the wires in there. They are so tiny, like little hairs in there. Even
0: smaller the ancient- than hair sometimes. So, yeah. You know, one thing I thought that was interesting, um, you know, maybe I knew this in some, what's the word, some vague sense, but, you know, you, you pointed out that a lot of the time these components, you, these components are, are separated basically between a connection property, the packaging, which is like the, well, like basically like a box, and then the the active component, and you pointed out nicely that a lot of the times the active component is is a fraction of, of the rest of it, which which is kind of mind blowing for even even for me who kind of kind of knows it, but it's like wow, it's interesting to hear it just pointed out that way. Just
1: one of my favorite examples are LEDs that you know you can have a ten millimeter LED that's this big chunk and jelly bean, you can have a five millimeter bog standard. Instrument panel LED. You can have a surface mount LED in a uh, pretty big 1206 package. You can have one in a tiny 0603 package. You can have an 0402 package. And these things are getting down to the size of, uh, you know, a grain of rice. But the actual active component, the actual LED die in all of these things, is the exact same thing. Yep. It's just how much plastic do you have, and how big are your wire leads inside the thing, and that all relates to what technology are you going to use to assemble this into something else?
2: What's pretty neat is the the NeoPixels, the WS2812 LEDs. You could just take a magnifying glass, and you could see in there. You could see the three colored LEDs and the microchip that controls the LEDs, and you you can actually see it in there. I think that's kind of neat.
0: Yeah, I think I think you guys have done some fantastic work. Obviously, I I guess. Um, you talk you, you talk about it, you say, you know, some people like this, they're beginners, some people know what they're doing, some people, maybe, maybe it's an introduction to this for them, but then you also say that some people like it as a photography book, do you think that's, do you think some people buy it with no interest in electronics and actually just look at it for the photography, which...
1: Uh, I was the photographer of the book, so I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm at a bit of a loss. I don't, I don't have the book. Jer- I know Jeremy's gotten to leaf through it. I haven't gotten to. I've only seen the little snippets of it on your website, the couple of pages I can maybe, look at. Maybe
1: it. he'll let you borrow it.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I might have to order a copy. But it looks like it would be a fantastic coffee table book just to have it in the house
0: for people to pick up and leaf through. The pictures are are fantastic and I, I do appreciate the end the end when you guys actually went through and showed how you f- photographed everything i think that's i think that was a nice touch was was that another uh, late edition or was that was no that... that was
1: actually in there from the very first pitch for the book that we were um wanting to talk about the process of making it uh we did some really non-obvious things we took components and we cut them with Uh, everyday tools like sandpaper, but also with um, more exotic processes, including a diamond polishing wheel, a diamond wafering saw, a gigantic milling machine. Um, And the process of doing macro photography itself is really interesting. We use a process called uh, focus stacking, which is where you take a bunch of photographs at different distances from the object, where uh, each has a slightly different focal plane. Uh, the thing about macro photography is that when you take pictures of things super up close with high magnification, you get a very shallow depth of field. Only a very narrow part of the thing is in focus. And this is very much a, a regular part of everyday experience. You're really used to that. Um, but uh, there's new computational techniques, which are really cool, that can take a bunch of photos of slightly different uh, focal distance and stack them together. More or less, the software looks and says, "Okay, this part of this picture is in focus. This part of this picture is in focus, and so on." Uh, and that's just a matter of uh, combining them together, like stitching a panorama photo together, to make one synthetic image that looks 100% real and contains, you know, real photographic information, but uh, is uh, more than is optically possible.
2: And you don't even you probably nowadays don't even have to know which order the photos are stacked in when you give it to the software it probably just figures all that out
1: uh, I think the order does matter I think important. I have confused it and screwed things up
0: yep <laughs> <laughs> so so you just feed these images i mean i guess properly ordered images you just feed them into uh, the software and it spits out a nice nice image for you that's the Pretty Pretty much.
1: um, I wrote some custom software to control. We had a custom uh, motion control stage to move the camera uh, to different positions. Uh, Yeah, it was actually built from uh, one of our uh, pen plotters that we manufacture. Uh, uh, So just sort of custom hardware, and it's not necessarily the cheapest or easiest way to uh, do that, but it uh, is what kind of stuff I have around. Uh, So I wrote some software for that that moved the camera to different positions uh, in a sequence um, over time, took the photograph and saved them all to a folder. And then I take all those photos in the folder and bring them into a program called Helicon Focus, which is a purpose-built focus stacking software package. And it uh, has tons of different settings and approaches for uh, different types of photos. There's different ways you can do this and there's different regions uh, that it defines for how large of an area it's looking at to be the in focus area and so on so it has things that work well for different types of things and just to give you an example of one of the types of problems you come across is suppose you have some very fine wires in the foreground of a photo that are in focus Um, it's very tricky to define those very narrow regions as the in focus part Um, because you have areas behind them that be, that become visible become in focus later at a different depth so um, uh, you can get uh, different effects sometimes great sometimes terrible by picking the parameters for the focus uh, stacking
0: process now am I uh, am I correct in assuming that this this uh, focus stacking software is probably probably not not cheap if I recall it's a couple hundred dollars okay well for what it is that's seems like a market. actually it's I
1: mean. esoteric and for uh for us for this project it was a great deal
0: i guess in your business you've got you your wife and the uh the cat um what was his name uh that's uh, zener zener yes zener now apparently the cat hair gets on these photos sometimes is that uh because I, I i take some i photograph my projects um and yes i've noticed when i do macro photography our, our dog i guess it's from our dog i see hair on it all the time and it's 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 really it's really annoying. So, can you can you comment on that? Uh, it we didn't let the cat in the photography room uh,
1: okay. during the project, but okay. uh, nonetheless, there were objects moved through the parts of the shop where the cat goes, and uh, uh, it's often the case that you don't see a hair on a circuit board until after you've gone through all the photography and the focus stacking, and oh. you're at the super macro. Uh, it's just so much time cleaning parts, and you can get things that are visually clean, but they're not microscope clean, and it's different right. processes.
2: Yeah, I sometimes take a close up photo, and it's not a hair, but like a little fuzzy or some little piece of a mm-hmm. must be from a shirt or something that you, you can't see it with your eyes, but then you blow up the photo, and you're like, My goodness, there's like a looks like it's a three inch piece of something on there
1: that's right and so there was a lot of times we had to reshoot photographs uh, a whole lot of time cleaning and we had uh, you know for for um, for materials for samples that aren't that delicate things like an entire circuit board or something you can use uh, a spray a pure isopropanol a toothbrush and compressed air and that takes care of almost anything but (laughs) um, at times we had uh, you know we'd sand a component in half and down to very fine super polished sandpaper 10,000 grit and now you clean it off as best you can and you put it in a microscope and there on that wire bond is dust from the sanding process you can't scrub that with a toothbrush you'll just obliterate it so what do you do and the answer is well you can try repeated cycles of things like water alcohol uh, gentle compressed air or canned air Um, one, for some things, we spent some time cleaning them under a microscope with uh, a extremely fine brush made out of a single cat whisker. So there's just uh, really. Uh, well, if you want to clean a wire bond without bending it, you try that sometime.
0: I well, I probably won't, but i'll I'll, I'll take your I'll take your word for it. But that's. Oh, did you custom make this? Did you clip a little? Cats sometimes drop whiskers.
1: Why not use one? Yeah, there's actually a picture of it in the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that is Uh, is awesome.
1: So, uh, and even so, even after uh, cleaning, there's still always some dust in photos. So every photo had a little bit of retouching. uh, And primarily that was uh, spending time in Adobe Lightroom with the spot removal tool, removing individual spots. Uh, it's a fine line. We there's a for the most part you don't want to use the heavy-handed retouching tools because you want stuff to look like what it looks like. But um, you know we just sort of made a decision that we're going to do uh, spot removal as best we can to preserve the what your visual appearance of the actual object is. For some things that meant leaving dust that was there preserved in fifty-year-old varnish in place, and for other things that meant um, you know. Get rid of a whole lot of dust that was on this IC sensor that uh, showed up during the um, cutting process.
0: Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing because we you know once you once you get into photography, it's it's kind of like it's like oh well, we want this to look real or like like but <laughs> but then that's kind of like a becomes philosophical. Well, you know, this looks bright to me, but you know, it's it's um, and then you get into something like that macro photography where you're well, you know, is, is this dust here in context or is this out-of-context dust? Or, you know, I, I can, I imagine it was quite a uh, nerve-wracking experience at times. At times, uh, mainly
1: just tedious. But it's okay because the results are good.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, now, this book came out, uh, let's see, I think a few months ago. Is, is, that, is that correct? Last fall. Yeah. Last fall. Last fall how has how has the response been has it been a pretty pretty good seller or has it is... uh
1: yeah it did great actually um it uh, sold out the first printing and it's on the second now
0: very nice that's, that's fantastic so uh, uh,
1: happy to have a book that gets a second printing you know
0: <laughs> yeah how have the kindle sales been cuz i i personally think that i'd much rather have the book for this but you know uh
1: surprisingly good sales of the ebooks um but i really I really think this deserves uh, the full color and at least the full color, uh, PDF or ebook version, if not the, uh, printed, um, our, uh, no starch press did a phenomenal job. They really spent the money to get the printing to look great. And I'm so happy with that.
0: Yeah, it looks, looks fantastic. And I, you know, I'm, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's, uh, it's nice and uh, nice and orange, which I appreciate. And, um, I'm sad that my good camera wasn't working today because I've can't really show this up in the same way that I. Well, you can I take should. a
2: nice photo, Jeremy, and paste it right into the video.
0: Yeah, and actually, I guess I guess I should mention I'm going to do a review of this for embedded at embedded computing. So you can, I'll definitely have a photo or two of that on there. And if you're unsatisfied with the uh, the pictures, that's a good place to <laughs> to check it out too, or or on Amazon, I guess, or at um, evil is it laboratories dot com? Is that right?
1: Uh, it's EvilMedscientist.com, dot com, um, okay. our store. Is uh, shop. com, and the website for the book is opencircuitsbook.com and so the website for the book does have pictures of the book cover, but also uh, a large number of photos from the book, as well as a large number of outtake photos, things that just didn't make it into the book.
0: Yeah, and I guess I was looking on on your website. I don't know about. I guess I guess it's on the. Uh, let's see the open circuits. Sorry, opencircuitsbook. Correct? Am I? Yes. Okay. On that side, I guess. I'm assuming you can get a signed copy there too, if, if, you, if you so desire, is that? Yeah, that's correct. How did you get the idea for this book?
1: Uh, so Eric and I have been collaborating on projects for, uh, I think, more than 10 years now. Uh, we uh, have made some soldering kits together, and the most famous of these is the three fives kit, which is a discrete circuit 555 timer kit, which is a soldering kit to build your own 555 timer. We have uh, through-hole and uh, surface mount versions of the kit, which are sort of scale models of the uh, through-hole and surface mount versions of the 555. Uh, We also make a 741 op-amp soldering kit in the same way, both in surface mount and uh, through whole versions.
2: That's awesome.
1: We also have another collaboration ongoing, which is a discrete 6502 processor called the Monster 6502. And you can read about that at monster6502.com. Uh, 6502, I should say. Um, and that is a uh, enormous project to make a replica of the 6502 microprocessor, the same one that was in the Apple II computer, for example. And uh, the core CPU of uh, some of the famous processors, including sort of the core of the original Commodore 64 and NES uh, with some little asterisks for the exact chip packaging. But the basic core CPU is the same thing in those things. Um, So we have a project to make one of those with just many thousands of transistors on one giant circuit board. Anyway, uh, uh, Eric had uh, started posting on Twitter some cross sections of photos uh cross section photos of components a few years ago um and uh he had you know sort of mediocre quality photos of them uh cell phone uh and they were really interesting and people were really responding well to them and I said hey Eric you want to do a book on these and um I'm not sure you quite understood the gravity of what I was asking.
0: It's a really big project. I feel like nobody I, could understand that. Uh, maybe,
1: maybe you did. This is my second book, so I really should have known. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> well, there, I, just for for my understanding, it's a it's a 300 some odd page book. Like how many how many of these macro photographs are I don't not an exact number, but they're they're are there close to 300 or half that because they'd be Uh, one on every other page or something it's
1: something like that yeah um so some some subjects have three or four uh photos uh many of them have an illustration uh many of them have just a single photo um we also uh prepared and sampled um probably a hundred other parts in addition to those that are in the book that didn't make it into the book for some reason. And those reasons included, we couldn't find a good context photo to show a picture of this component in. We really wanted to show things just not just up close, but uh, with something to give an idea of scale, or how it might be used. Um, Some of them, we are ones that we tried and tried again, uh, cutting into, but we couldn't get a good enough cut that looked really clean inside, that uh, really looked great. And uh, one of those would be a read relay, for example, that Mm. we had read relays and we cut them open over and over again, and we just could not get one where all the wires cut through and the glass capsule and all the things looked just right to be good enough to Mm. go in the book.
0: Yeah. And how how long from idea to publishing, how long did it take? How many... How many years? I guess it was several. About
1: three years. Okay. Um, Of which um, sort of there was a year of not working on it at all in that process just because we sort of put a pause in the book when COVID hit. Um, And there was a year of sort of editing and and almost a year altogether of waiting on different things. So Hmm. it was actually... uh, uh, more or less a one year of writing and a one year of editing. Okay. Uh, one year of uh, uh, writing, photography, sample preparation, and a year of editing.
2: Were Were you able to find easily find all of the hardware, or did you spend a lot of time hunting down auctions on eBay trying to find the one remaining something?
1: <laughs> uh, there are parts I'm still looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no we we, uh, we worked with a, a, a online spreadsheet and uh, a huge list of all the things we wanted to find and we did find a lot of them but we also uh, a lot of them did come from an eBay auction uh, the isolation amplifier for example is one that I got on eBay um, and you know, just a magnificent piece of ancient hardware that they don't make anymore um, but we also had uh, a family member lent us a uh, old guitar amplifier that we were able to uh, look inside at the circuit boards and the glowing tubes and resistors and things. And um, we also rummaged through uh, our last Silicon Valley surplus store before it closed and found mm-hmm. all kinds of components and rummaged through the bins of different shapes and sizes of say film capacitors to find just the right one to photograph. So there's a lot of,
0: a lot of different approaches. So, you know, it, it's funny we we've never we had a book author on a couple couple episodes ago one thing i I asked him and i will ask you now that you've written two books would you write another would you write another book
1: uh yeah, but I need a cooling off period
0: to uh <laughs> yeah it's not exactly what he said but something similar to that if you remember pat <laughs> i think
2: i i don't but i'm You've I, been thinking about I, this, and I haven't. So I'm.
0: Uh... I I think well I, yeah, I was my engineer brain wants to say it wasn't the same thing, but trying to be a little less literal, he said roughly the same thing. I guess. So um, well, well, listen, we um we've had some a great conversation about your book, but I was thinking it'd be awesome to ask you about your your main business, evil mad scientist laboratories, and maybe talk about some of the projects you're working on. Maybe talk about some of the projects that Pat and I are working on as well. Um, it's, it's cool with you. We'll go ahead and take a coffee break for a little bit and we'll be back and we'll discuss some of that other stuff. That sound, sound good? Sounds great. All right. We'll be back. All right, We are recording?
2: We are recording. Welcome to the coffee break, Jeremy.
0: Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Welcome yourself. Um, yeah, you know, the coffee break is where we give a shout out to our top five or or so patrons 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 our top five or so patrons well first of all we got carl then uh, michael sizer raptor creatively spelled stuart morrow brian moses and of course positive waves we uh man we appreciate you guys um supporting us and yeah pat's doing something with his his hand uh, making a shark thing or something i don't know um yeah we appreciate that and you know, thanks for supporting us. If you wanna if you wanna support us, Pat, where can we go to?
2: Patreon.com slash create invent all one word.
0: Yes, it is indeed patreon.com slash create invent.
2: We like money, Jeremy, but we don't need to have money. Money. We would love to just hear from you. Leave us a comment or a like or a a thumbs up. All the different platforms have different ways to do this. Send us an email. Stop by our Discord server. There'll be a link in the description, probably. in Most places. That's true.
0: A little bit of business. We're uh, we're trying to rearrange our YouTube channel a little bit to make sure some of the stuff is slightly more in order than it is before. So if you notice getting a bunch of a bunch of uh, notifications that we put out new video, Somebody well, that's messed uh, it
2: up a little. Technical difficulties.
0: We had some technical difficulties. Hopefully, it's a one-time thing or a two-time thing or. It's not even going to be a constant thing. So just a little forewarning and maybe it won't even happen. All that being said, thank you so much for listening and or watching. And we'll get you back to your regularly scheduled program. Right, Pat?
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I
2: didn't, I didn't have any coffee today, Jeremy. I only had one. Had I broke water. My, my coffee grinder <laughs> broke this morning.
0: I had some actual cold coffee, and Pat had some water, and Wendell, you, you had nothing, and that's fine. We're, uh, we appreciate it. Wendell about his Monster 6502.
2: It is beautiful, Jeremy. I've been looking at pictures during the whole coffee break. Well, what, so, what is this
0: exactly?
1: So this is another collaboration with Eric, and Eric did all of the circuit board design and layout on this. He is a very gifted uh, uh, electronic engineer, and... Um, this is a working model of an entire cpu microprocessor that uh, is based entirely out of individual transistors soldered to one giant circuit board and there are a lot of transistors on the circuit board
2: and this circuit board looks like it's about as big as the motherboard in an apple IIe. maybe not exactly but it's, uh, it's in the ballpark
1: it's in the ballpark yes so it's about 7,000 times actual size, and it runs at 1 <laughs> of the original speed. And uh, the, the first question that most people ask is, is that because all the parts are so far apart? Is that because it's so big, propagation delays, and so on? And the answer is not really, no. The original ran at a megahertz, and it's perfectly possible to make a circuit board this big that where everything runs at a megahertz, uh, or faster. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, the difference is that this is made with uh, um, essentially discrete transistors. And discrete transistors are much bigger than the microscopic transistors that were on the original 6502 die, and they have a much larger capacitance. So we are essentially working with a, uh, a bunch of power transistors and trying to use them as though they were the microscopic devices inside of an original uh, IC. Uh, they do not work as fast. They are bigger. There's more charge to charge up the gate.
2: This is like the difference between my light switch back here and the big Frankenstein uh, uh, blade switch.
0: What do you... I, when, when you that what you're, knife switch. What you're doing?
2: Knife switch. Yeah, that, it's like the... I, I actually have a giant
1: it. knife switch at our shop. You know, what's mad? evil mad scientist, we have to have some oh. stuff, right? I have a giant knife yeah, switch on the way. wall. <laughs> uh, it's not wired up to anything, it's just, it's got all this exposed wire, it would be far too dangerous. Uh, it's a t- terrible electronic analogy, but it's a perfect mechanical analogy to how long it takes to uh, move that switch, yes.
2: It's There's LEDs all over this thing, or do the LEDs correspond to...
1: Yeah, our model has hundreds more LEDs than the original IC did. Yeah, it had uh, none.
2: Zero exactly. If I remember correctly. It's terrible.
1: So we put an LED on every uh, latch bit, essentially every place where on the chip there's a one or a zero stored at that moment to indicate what its state is. Oh. And uh, there's also LEDs that indicate when one of the uh, uh, lines of the decode ROM is triggered. So if you look at this and you start digging into it, you'll start to learn a lot about how chips work and. Uh, There's a data path. There's a sort of eight repeating structures at the bottom half of the board that go all the way across where the things happen to the eight bits on your bus. Uh, And you can see that there's eight repeating structures in the uh, arithmetic logic unit, the ALU that uh, there's um, repeating structures in the registers that uh, store the different bits. When you're, there's a program counter that when you're stepping through slowly, you can see doing a ripple count going 1, uh, 1, 0, 1, 1, one zero zero, and so on. There's, a, there's the place where the actual instruction being uh, used is stored um, and uh, decoded. There's uh, different clock phases. So an instruction can take one, two, or more uh, cycles to execute, and there's a little counter for that. There's a pre-decode that that picks off the instruction and determines how many clock cycles it will take. And then there's a thing that looks at the instruction and actually decodes a numeric instruction into what does that actually do. And that's done with a giant lookup table basically, which is a set of transistors in a grid at the top of the board. And then depending on what's decoded between what the instruction is and what the clock phase is, that triggers different logic lines that go into a gigantic mess of logic that controls a set of register bits, internal register bits, that determine the state of the machine and say what it actually does to the data on the next clock cycle. So it's sort of a a huge set of things that you can look at and learn in great detail about and even probe with a scope at specific
0: places if you'd like to. So so, is this? Am I correct in? This is the first time I've really seen this. But am I correct in looking at this and saying basically it's like a it's like a chip, a chip but it's expanded out and basically with lights on it so you can tell what's going. So it it takes this this literal black box and expands it out to something that you can literally see what the computer is doing. Is that on a on a bit by bit level? Is that is that a is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Of what's going yeah. on? We sometimes call
1: these uh, disintegrated circuits.
0: Dis- that's awesome. That really is awesome. I and probably a lot of other people have an itch to buy this. What uh, can, can we buy one or is that coming up or how's that going? Uh,
1: that is a question we've been trying to answer since uh, 2016. And okay. the answer is uh, uh, coming around to a yes again. Um, so, awesome. as you may have heard, there was sort of a global catastrophe of semiconductor availability a couple of years ago. Yeah, it took uh, some of my the,
2: parts that we were designing from like $2 for a board up to like $15, $18 for a board, it totally, it threw off all our dynamics, it was it was horrible.
0: I've got an idea how you could put this out right now, you could you could base it on a Raspberry Pi. Since those <laughs> are... <laughs> okay. uh,
1: you know, you could just... You can just go to uh, visual6502.org and they have on that website, a uh, working Java or JavaScript simulation. I don't remember which uh, simulation of the um, uh, 6502 and you don't even need any hardware. It's
2: well, th- yeah, that's- I kind of want to hold it in my hands.
1: So one, one of the things about the 6502 is that it is just a microprocessor. It is not a computer. Uh, a microprocessor does not do anything unless it's, unless it's in a computer motherboard, so to speak. So you need to have things like RAM, ROM, um, in order for it to be useful. So you also need a clock. And in order to be useful, you also are going to need things like some sort of input method, some sort of output method. So that could be you know keyboard and monitor, for example, if you want to think about uh, Apple II kinds of things. We need to have something to put, put that in. And our initial approach on the project uh, was using vintage components, essentially the same sorts of components you'd find in an Apple II-like computer for a keyboard monitor and so on. That turned out to not work very well because uh, because of the low clock speed. If you want to register a keyboard press, it takes longer than, uh, than it might expect with regular software that works for regular human timescales.
2: You have to hold the key um, down for a long time. Get
1: it to register? Well, it's 120th original speed, and if it can sense a key at your regular speed, you know, that's not a huge difference, but it's enough to be really annoying. The second approach was to use uh, a STM32 based computer, which essentially emulated all of those things I mentioned the RAM, ROM, clock, uh, keyboard, monitor, all in uh, virtual space in a uh, 32 bit ARM program. And that was. Great, it was coming along real good, and then suddenly those chips became unobtainable. Uh, So um, we've actually gone back to a very simple uh, uh, new approach, and what we're currently working on is a uh, new motherboard that uh, has a 555 timer uh, and a uh, ROM chip. And that's about it, and a RAM chip. And so it's really super minimal. What we're doing for the first release of the Monster 6502 is it's going to be built into this frame, and you can see the pictures on the monster6502.com website. Uh, the frame uh, provides power input, and it has this little computer built into the back side. And so we have this you know, square foot, give or take, size uh, CPU, wow. and this index card, give or take, sized motherboard that it plugs into. Um, And that's sort of a funny ratio. Uh, And then there's a, in addition to the, quote, wire bond pads around the outside of the Monster 6502 circuit board, uh, there's also a 50-pin connector. So the original 6502 is a 40-pin DIP chip. Uh, The 50-pin connector has those 40 pins of the DIP plus an additional 10 pins for power and ground so it can feed the full three amps at five volts that the chip wants. Um, That's And impressive. then we have this little, a lot of that is driving the LEDs <laughs> and yeah. all of these big power transistors. Uh, it is a little power hungry for a chip. But, you know, a modern PC uses a lot more than that. Yes. Uh, so we have a little motherboard that plugs into the back of that. And that has a 40 pin ribbon cable connector uh, DL header on the backside that you can plug in a cable in that can go to a dip chip-shaped plug into your circuit board that has a a socket for a 6502. Um, Or you can, um, you know, change out what's on that ROM directly.
2: I've been smiling the whole time. I've noticed. I keep looking over at you guys, and then I see me, (laughs) and I'm up here smiling, because this is just delightful. This is fantastic.
0: Going back to something we, I guess, talked about, what um, do you think you'll sell this? So your main business is easy. Easy, evil mad scientist laboratories, and you think this is something you'll, which where you sell stuff like this, like interesting electronics contraptions. Do You think this is something you'll eventually sell there? Or is that, is that kind of, does that fit in there?
1: Yeah, uh, we were originally thinking of doing this as a crowdfunding project, but we've uh, we're currently tending towards. We're just going to do a short run of them as the first run and sell them on our website.
0: Nice, nice, and that's, yeah, I guess that's a bit nerve-wracking, right? Because you've got a you got to put in the money on it. You don't have it necessarily backed for sure, but I think people would probably buy it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. it is just it's a very expensive product. Um, there's more than a reel of transistors on every board. It's just uh, uh, you know it is uh, the bill of materials alone is very expensive, and the circuit board is very expensive. It's big and four layer and has to be good, and uh, the assembly is expensive just because there's so many individual components to in place and if you figure yeah. a few cents a component it
0: really adds up fast so what would you can you give us some estimate of what it would cost or do you want to keep that under wraps for these for uh, right now
1: i don't even have a good number that i could give you if i wanted to
0: <laughs> okay that's fair um, uh, it's, it's thousands not hundreds,
2: hundreds. <laughs> like, is it hundreds or thousands of dollars is you yeah. don't even I'm
0: ne- we'll just cut it out yes if it's, you don't it's answer, thousands just, yeah well, you know, I guess it's almost like it's transcended a DIY project to more of an art piece. I mean, you could see this at a museum or something. We are
1: we are not ever going to make a soldering kit version of this.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now, now, your company though. When when were you guys? Yes, EMSL. When was that? When does that start exactly? How long have you been doing doing that? Uh
1: two thousand seven. So uh, getting on sixteen years now.
0: Nice. Okay, and you guys have like an actual physical shop where you make stuff, and I don't. I assume you don't sell stuff out of the shop, but or maybe uh, we
1: do. We haven't really done any in-person sales since COVID. Uh, we do have a small front showroom, but we don't have much of our stuff on display. Uh, we are almost entirely an online store, uh, and yes, we have a physical shop where we do manufacturing. We have a milling machine. I have somebody running the milling machine today. We are making parts for our pen plotters. I have uh, staff assembling machines, putting wow. LEDs in bags for our uh, kits, and building and testing
0: robots. Fantastic! So you're a, you so so not just you and your wife. It's it's you have several employees, I assume. How, how big of a company are are you? Uh, we have uh,
1: about ten employees right now, with a mix of full time and part time.
0: Okay, nice. And you're in uh, S- Sunnyvale, California, right? That's right. And I think um, think of one of our Patreons. I think I think Carl wanted to know is that where Buffy the Vampire Slayer took took place? That
1: is Sunny Dale, completely
0: different. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to
2: We're gonna have to yell at Carl for goofing that up.
0: <laughs> we've answered that. Um, so can you tell us <laughs> that hard hitting question, Jeremy? Yeah. <laughs> where am where am I going I go to
2: open for this cool stuff that I've lost our our notes?
1: Um, the Monster 6502 that we are hoping to get to a release soon. Um, We are also working on uh, our AxiDraw pen plotters, which is our primary line of business. Uh, We make these machines that people use for uh, art and also for uh, doing handwriting-like applications. Uh, A lot of the time, if you get what appears to be a handwritten envelope in the mail, that was written on one of our machines.
0: Um, so uh, really, because because uh, somebody said they were working on the gutters on, on my neighbors, and it looked like it was handwritten, and now I'm I'm really disappointed that it was it was just on a uh, pen plotter and be a copier.
1: <laughs> maybe.
0: <laughs> no, I, I threw that in the trash.
1: They, and uh, so we're working on the uh, uh, next generation version of those right now as our top priority project. Uh, just a moment here, I have a uh sorry small felon trying to steal a pen from my desk
0: Uh oh oh is that um zener i forgot the name i want to say that's not zener i'm actually
1: i'm at home today with different cats
0: oh okay yeah we gotta (laughs) i understand how that goes i can do a
1: cat cameo if you need it
0: yeah we'd love to see the. we'd love to see the cat although um
1: okay just a sec setting down microphone
0: Oh, look at you! Uh, look at
1: that. Hello, she Luna. To, cats get to be. Oh, hey, look. Her
0: camera's up here. There you go. Yes, yeah, they never know where the cameras I always nice. Yeah, Luna's there. a nice-looking. Uh, I guess dark gray, not quite black, but dark gray and, and white, white kitty. Tuxedo oh, and look white. at that! Look okay, at Lee. the size of you. That doesn't. That doesn't look like a cat. That looks like a. Is that a lynx or is that a cat? <laughs> She's a Maine Coon cat. And she is genuinely twice the mass of the other cat. Yeah. Well, are you sure that's not a are you sure that's not a dog? That's nice <laughs> <Or> a small <laughs> small wolf. Oh, she is beautiful. Look at that. Wow, yes. that is great. Yeah, it's got some nice pointy ears. It looks like it really does look like something that. Well, looks like something you might see stalking around in your backyard, uh, hunting rabbits or something. Yeah, actually, I saw I saw a bobcat outside my window like quite a while ago, and. I think it was smaller than the cat you had there. Which is, <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, so if we break into your house, we don't have to worry about the bar- guard dog. We have to worry about about the giant cat, I, which I doubt that, more terrifying.
1: I doubt that unless you smell like cat food, they're going to be interested.
0: Oh well, so don't don't break don't break into the house if you have just been feeding a bunch of cats and then. All right, I've uh, gotten
1: you way off topic from your uh, that's
2: okay. podcast. No, that's
0: it's okay. It's um. You know, regular listeners will know this about about how it goes sometimes. <laughs> the, the internet loves pets. I did want to mention, you know, I was, I was thinking about it, and you were mentioning the, the giant, uh, uh, the monster 6502, and I should give a shout-out to episode 49 where we had uh, Zachary Hips at bite size, and he had the uh, gigantic arduino, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Zach has the big arduino. I think he has a big pie, too. It's about, you know, three yeah, feet think by so. four feet or something. Yeah, so Functional. You know, that's, that's our... I think it just has a, you know, the actual Arduino. There's an actual Arduino inside, hidden somewhere, but all the pins are broken out. It's it's adorable.
0: It's an interesting theme. I'm pretty sure we've had other guests that have had uh, gigantic versions of other things on. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like maybe Matt Perks or Protégé maybe did something similar to that, but I don't. I don't know. Um, well, uh, I guess uh, since we're this is a little bit off topic from the electronics field um pat i feel like there was something uh, something you were wanting to ask me about oh i do i, I want to know
2: i i saw that awesome short you had on youtube yesterday with uh, your washing machine repair what, what oh, went wrong you. Yeah. there
0: yeah so uh so what went wrong which you know i've got a um i've got a you know a family of five so if the washing machine breaks um it's a, it's it's a problem immediate Emergency. problem yeah, pretty pretty much. So I um I was like, Oh, it's not working. Basically the, the water was not draining and you know, so I had to basically drain all the water out, took it out to the garage and you know, I could tell something was not right. It was like a motor was stalling or something. Flipped it over, watch actually watched another YouTube video where the guy basically said, Okay, this is what happens, you gotta change the um the drain impeller. So I flipped it over and honestly Taking it out of the garage, into the garage, and flipping it over was the hardest part of the project, because I ordered a new new part from Amazon, there the next day, unbolted a few things, bolted it right on, and it was, you know, just, just pretty much worked. Um, so that was good. The thing that uh, kind of terrified me, though, when I hooked it back up, starts running, starts running, and I look at it, you know, a couple minutes later, it's not getting any of the clothes wet. So when, instead of draining it, now it's not getting any water in, and I was like, what is going on? in Pat, Pat Wendell, Wendell, do you think uh, you guys have any idea what might have been the problem?
2: Well, I know what the problem was because I saw the
0: video, so I okay. don't want to cheat. Okay, well, what about you? Do you, th- you have any guesses what might on have been the problem? that description, not at all. Okay, so the problem was I forgot to, <laughs> forgot to turn the faucets back on after I, <laughs> you know, because you've got to, you got disconnected, turn the faucets off that lead into it, otherwise you're going to, otherwise you're going to flood your house and have uh, more problems than broken washing machine. Jeremy, I I can't
2: tell you who this was, but it was my brother-in-law. He bought a brand new house. Nobody had ever lived in it before. This was 15 years ago. He was putting in his washer and dryer, and he turned the faucet on, and a few seconds later, or maybe right after he tried to test run the the washer, water just starts spraying everywhere. The hose came loose. He didn't have it on tight enough, and it's just, you know, spray... What do you do when that happens, Jeremy?
0: I, I, well, I'd hopefully shut it off.
2: Well, that was not what he thought to do. He grabbed the hose, he looked around, and he just put it
0: in his mouth. He put it <laughs> into his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Feet actually blanked out, it was so, you see yeah. that, not that it, it would blink. And it did not work guys
2: it did not don't do that it was the right he that's said it tasted. people die yeah it was. <laughs> well i don't think i mean like i don't think he put it in his mouth like he thought he could drink this like a cartoon or something but then he figured out what he had to do but he made a big mess before he ended up having to replace a lot of the ceiling because it got all
0: well wow that well that's inter- that's interesting i guess if you listen to the podcast you will be don't be too happy with you. It's good when he tells uh, the
2: story because he makes the face and he, you know, does the whole putting the pipe up to the yards. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't well, have
0: to do that, Jeremy. I'm relieved. I did not do that. Although, although you saw the video apparently, like when I was testing out in the garage, I had like a tiny little, little bucket, like a sand bucket <laughs> to like test the thing. And it, uh, the water knocked that over, obviously. So, um, but you know, all things considered, I was, uh, Pretty happy with myself, you know. My wife was uh, was happy, and I was, she's like, "Oh, that's that's great, you got it done." I, I was thinking I could tell her that it was really hard, but this is actually really easy. So, you know, I guess uh, I guess that's fine. I don't know. I was honest.
2: Well, it, you did a good job, Jeremy. That's what counts. Thank you, thank you, Pat. I'm proud. Now I hear of
0: you. you have some. I hear you have some plumbing issue too. Maybe your
2: coffee machine. Oh yeah. well, I broke my. I broke my coffee grinder this morning. I'm very, oh, okay. very disappointed.
1: So, so what did you do? Did you like take the coffee in a rolling pin or?
2: Uh, no, well, I fixed the coffee grinder has a the thing that holds the burr in. there's a little plastic doodad and that's supposed to break if, you know, if a rock got in there or something, instead of destroying your expensive burrs, it's supposed to break. The plastic thing. And that didn't quite work the way it's supposed to. It goofed up the bars. I was able to pull a couple of shots of espresso, but I had to put it down to the absolute minimum setting. And that's just not going to work. It's It'll have to hold me over, but I ordered an expensive grinder.
0: You didn't throw all the coffee later. grinds into your mouth? or whatever, I did not. After no, your, no, uh, no, no. I note? did
2: not throw all the okay. coffee in my mouth when it did Does not work. Does your
1: grinder not have replacement burrs available?
2: They do, but... I've replaced the burrs twice. They're only $15 for the top burr that I keep breaking. But I've done it twice so far, and I'll be up over $50 in burrs this year. Well, not, within the last 12 months or so. And I feel dumb if I'm going to keep doing that. So I figured I've had the grinder for eight years. It's time for an upgrade. There's cooler, nicer, fancier grinders for not much more money than I paid for my grinder. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell everybody what I bought. I bought a Turin DF-64P. I don't know why it's a P. P is for espresso, apparently. Turin,
0: is, that, is that from the same place as the Shroud of Turin It thing? could
2: be. It's spelled the same, I believe. I don't really know that much about it, other than it's pretty reasonably priced for a flat burr espresso grinder.
0: Okay. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I feel, feel like the both of you are fairly... Uh, Fairly big coffee aficionados, but I'm—I get my coffee from the can from Costco, from the cold coffee. I don't even like hot. The coffee, cold to be coffee can. What? Yeah, cold coffee can. I, sh- I should. You should nice, register nice that domain. You could. Cold coffee <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, on that note, uh, is there is there anything? <laughs> Anything else you'd like to talk about today that we haven't uh, we haven't asked you about? Is there anything uh, you wants to know about your business or yourself or the world? If you feel like
1: nothing comes to mind, but I'm happy to answer any more questions or uh,
2: discuss random stuff if you'd like to.
0: Hmm. Well, well, that you you probably don't have all day, but um...
2: <laughs> I would love to hear about your coffee setup. If you have if you're if you're a coffee geek, I'd. Uh, I
1: have a Rancilio Rocky Grinder and a, uh, uh, Silvano, uh, Quick Mill Silvano Espresso Machine. Ooh. Uh, I don't know and, that. I have, uh, I
2: have the Sylvia. I've had her for about Well, the Silvano years,
1: is so. a Sylvia killer, so we are enemies.
2: Yeah? Oh, real? I, I want to, I need to, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be looking that up.
1: I, I, I once told that to a person named <laughs> Sylvia, and she didn't know what to think of that. Um... <laughs> Uh, the, uh, uh, we primarily, uh, um, brew coffee that my partner Lenore roasts. So we have a, um,
2: uh, I roast coffee too. (laughs)
1: we, We, uh, we get to the usually single origin Guatemalan beans from Sweet Maria's, uh, um, wholesale site, uh, coffee shrub. So we got these 50-pound sacks of green Guatemalan coffee beans, and wow. uh, roast them. We have a one-pound drum roaster, and uh, uh, makes pretty good coffee.
2: Oh, I'm a little jealous. I'm still using and, an air uh, popper, I, and I keep thinking I'm going to upgrade to a a drum roaster, but I haven't. I haven't moved on to that. I haven't moved on that far yet. But
1: just uh, gets lets you uh, roast a little less often, which is kind of nice. And, yeah. That's sort of a weak supply of coffee at once. And let's see what else. Oh, and I just replaced the burrs in our Rocky a couple weeks ago. Looks like 50, $50 for a set of these hardened steel burrs, and they are fantastic quality.
2: Awesome. I almost, the the Rocky was one of the grinders I was looking at when I bought my machine eight years ago. I, I ended up with the Baratza Preciso. I don't remember exactly why I chose the Prociso. Instead mm. of the Rocky, it's been too long, but I'm 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 excited. I yeah, you know, we have people on the podcast all the time, and nobody else has an espresso machine, so <laughs> I'm very
0: excited. Well, that's very nice. Yeah, this is this is a subject that I feel I'm almost entirely ignorant ignorant about, to be honest. But it's uh, which is fine. Yeah, it's, I'm a little we're, jealous we're that to you learn, order the fifty
2: pound bags. I just order. A two pound bag. I order like a dozen two pound bags at a time and just try new things constantly.
1: Uh it fun. keeps quite well as green beans.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, years instead of weeks. It's fantastic.
0: Well um how, where, where now if we wanted to find you or your products or anything else, where where's the best place to find find you, Wendell?
1: Uh at evilmadscientist dot com.
0: Okay, excellent. And um yeah, you could find all kinds of stuff. You could find the ax, Axi AxiDraw, is that that correct? That's how that's it's correct. Her family axi- of
1: pen plotters.
0: And you know, all kinds of other interesting electronics devices and such. And of course, you could find his his book there, Open Circuits. Um that's fantastic. And find that on Amazon too if you so prefer. I It's suppose. A, it's
2: a 10 or 12 dollars off on Amazon right now with this. When
0: oh, nice. I checked.
2: If anybody's yes. interested.
0: Yeah. And, or you uh, or or... can
1: order from uh, No Starch and uh, get the uh, no DRM ebook versions
0: with it, which is a nice Ooh. thing too. Oh, that, that's that's nice. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I got that. Maybe I ha- maybe I should have sent that to you if I have a copy. <laughs> I'm <not> sure. <laughs> yeah, and you can find me uh, JeremySCook.com or I'm at Twitter at JeremySCook or YouTube at JeremyCook where you can find uh, so see how I repaired my washing machine recently. That was a uh, Short video and a literal short as as they like to call it these days pat where can we where can we find you oh,
2: you can pretty much fire, go to patshead dot com and it'll have links to all my stuff there
0: well yeah we we uh we enjoyed having you on so much um and uh yeah, hope you have a great uh rest of your morning there and i'll have uh pat and i'll both have a good afternoon hopefully i right. hope <laughs>
2: well it was a pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: yeah thanks thanks so much so if
2: you don't have to hang up you can just because we're hitting stop you don't you can we're not trying to <laughs> but i'm gonna hit i'm gonna hit yeah. the button
0: oh don't forget oh. don't forget to wait till it uploads that's we we do
2: well he's at 99 he's doing a good job jeremy that was i i'm so excited about the monster 6502 i'm so excited